Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. Today's sorry tale occurred in the year 1555, but what else happened that year? Well, on February the 4th, John Rogers was burned at the stake in London and becomes the first Protestant martyr under Mary I of England. Just four days later, on February the 8th, Laurence Saunders becomes the second Marian Protestant martyr in England, being led barefoot to his execution by burning at the stake. And on July the 12th, Pope Paul IV creates the Roman Ghetto, the first Jewish ghetto in Rome. Also in that year, Russia breaks a 60-year-old truce with Sweden by attacking Finland. And the 1555 Kashmir earthquake causes widespread destruction and death in Kashmir, India. But I was intrigued about this tale when I went on a recent day trip to the lovely estate of Stourhead in Wiltshire. Stourhead is a breathtaking 18th century landscape garden with lakeside walks, grottos and classical temples. And that's just the garden. You can also visit Stourhead House, a Palladian mansion with a fantastic Regency library any bookaholic would love, as well as a beautiful art collection. Here are just a few things people have said about the place. Lovely day out with very knowledgeable and friendly staff. We followed the path through the ward garden and then into the house. After that, a lovely walk around the lake. My wife and I have had a picture hanging in our kitchen for over 22 years and we always hoped we would be able to find it one day and sit on the bench in the picture. Not knowing where it was taken or even what country it was in, we could not believe it. When on the third day of our trip to England, we went to this place and there before us was the place of the picture. This is a very beautiful place to visit. The staff are very helpful and we cannot say enough great things about it. We went back twice because we enjoyed it so much. A place not to miss if you're going to England. I love the gardens at Stourhead, but yesterday was my first visit to the house. It is an absolute treasure house but my visit was really made by the room guides who were unfailingly friendly, helpful and extremely knowledgeable. Word of the week. And this week, it's my pleasure to give you the word... Buttress which is a common feature in Gothic architecture. Buttresses are structures that are either built against or projecting from a wall or roof to reinforce it and handle lateral forces. 
They've also been found more recently on the construction of certain types of dams. Personally, I've mainly seen them on churches or cathedrals. The Stoughton family had lived at Starhead Estate for 500 years until they sold it to Sir Thomas Mears in 1714. His son, John Mears, sold it in 1717 to Henry Hoare, son of a wealthy banker, Sir Richard Hoare. The original manor house was demolished and a new house, one of the first of its kind, designed by Colin Campbell and built by Nathaniel Ayrson, was constructed between 1721 and 1725. In 1979, James Turner wrote in his bulletin, The garden at Stourhead, Wiltshire, is regarded as the one total and authoritative masterwork of English landscape gardening still in existence. It is a paradigm of the reaction against formality and the growth of picturesque sensibility, a harmonious composition of hanging woods, undulating lakeside paths and irregularly placed temples, grottoes and ruins. Over the next 200 years, the Hoare family collected many heirlooms, including the large library and art collection. In 1902, the house was gutted by fire, but many of the heirlooms were saved, and the house was rebuilt in a nearly identical style. The last Hoare family member to own the property, Sir Henry Hugh Arthur Hoare, gave the house and gardens to the National Trust in 1946, one year before his death. His son and sole heir, Captain Henry Colt Arthur Harry Hoare, of the Queen's own Dorset Yeomanry, had died of wounds received at the Battle of Murgar Ridge on the 13th of November 1917, during World War I. The last Hoare family member to be born at the house was Edward Hoare on the 11th of October 1949. That was a very brief description of the estate's history, but our tale today takes us to 1555, in the otherwise peaceful village of Kilmington, which was shocked by the news of what happened in the churchyard one day. The local landowner, Charles, the 8th Baron of Stolton, had long had a reputation for violent behaviour and a quick temper. It all started when the 7th Baron Stoughton, William, passed away. His wife was Lady Elizabeth Dudley, daughter of Edmund Dudley, the Duke of Northumberland. It was Lady Elizabeth who was the powerhouse of the family and had brought most of the wealth to the estate. Now her husband was dead, it reverted to her. Only on her death would her estates pass to her son, the new Baron Stoughton. But the new Baron, Charles was not a patient man. He was in a hurry. He had debts to pay and a life of debauchery to lead. Just a few weeks after his father's death, young Charles rode to Kilmington to see his mother. His initial argument was that the family assets should all be kept under one control. His. And he demanded that his mother hand over her jewels, gold, and the title deeds of her property at once. The old lady was on the point of doing so when she was interrupted by William Hartgill, the steward of her estates. 
Hartgill suggested that Charles should give his mother an annuity to live on, proportionate to her rank in life. This sent Lord Staunton into a violent rage, and the two men quarrelled. Charles stormed out without his mother's wealth. The following Whitsunday, after the run-in with William Hartgill and his mother, Lord Charles Staunton hired a gang of 20 rough men and lay in wait at the church at Kilmington for the Hartgills to arrive for Sunday service. Fortunately for the Hartgills, their son John was planning to go hunting with friends after the service and had with him his bow and crossbow. As the Hartgills approached the church, Staunton and his men charged with swords drawn. Young John dropped one man with his bow, then led his parents into the church, where they barricaded themselves in the tower. Quick, mother, father, get to the church, hurry, hurry! The Hartgills managed to fight off Staunton and his men, until the forces of law and order arrived, led by Sir Thomas Speak, High Sheriff of Somerset. The courts threw Lord Staunton in prison and ordered him to pay compensation to his victims, which he flatly refused to do. In 1555, he was released and returned to his home, but he had neither forgiven nor forgotten his imagined grievances against the Hartgills. Being a bitter, angry man, Lord Staunton took every opportunity to show the Hartgills exactly what he thought of them destroying their crops, driving their cattle and annoying them by every sort of petty persecution. About this time, the Queen was making a journey to Basingend in Hampshire. The Hartgills took advantage of this visit for a personal appeal to Her Majesty, who caused Lord Staunton to be summoned before the Council. He promptly obeyed the summons, affected deep regret for his conduct and declared that if the Hartgills would come to his house and be reconciled to him, he would make full restitution for all the harm he had done. <laughs> Word on the street. And today, my friends, we're going into the centre of Bristol, to the Haymarket and Haymarket Walk. The Haymarket was established in 1786 and it was the venue for the annual St James Fair, but the resultant public disorder and other scandals caused the fairs to be banned in 1837. When the land was developed as a shopping centre in the 1950s, a burial pit containing the bodies of plague victims was discovered on the site. Remember when I said that Lord Staunton promised the Queen that he'd end the feud with the Hartgills if they came round to his house? Well, the Hartgills trusted this assurance, and the father and son, accompanied by a friend, went to Lord Staunton's house after the departure of the Queen from Basingend. But their enemy had placed six ruffians in ambush, setting up a trap in a narrow lane, and before young Hartgill could draw his sword, they attacked and wounded him. He was left for dead on the ground. Again, an appeal was sent to the Queen and the Star Chamber, causing Lord Staunton to be seized and brought before them in London, 
where he was committed to the Fleet Prison and sentenced to pay the Hartgills a considerable fine. He bargained his way out of prison by giving a large bond and agreeing to appear for trial the next term. He then returned to his home with his mind fully intent on the destruction of the unfortunate Hartgills at any cost. And so it was Christmas, 1555, and Stoughton sent a message to the Hartgills offering to meet them at church to pay the compensation for the injuries he had caused them and to use the season of goodwill to end the feud. The Hartgills were understandably suspicious and arranged for several local gentlemen to be at the church on the day set for the meeting. The elder Hartgill declared that he would not go near Lord Stoughton's party or have any communication with him except in the church itself. And all seemed to go well. <coughs> Stoughton produced a large purse of gold and began to discuss the amount of payment due. But having gradually approached and got them within reach, he suddenly cried out, I arrest you both for felony. And as he was a magistrate of the county, his followers did not hesitate to seize and bind the Hartgills, hand and foot. Lord Stoughton was delirious with glee. Triumphant and full of rage, he ordered the two Hartgill men to be tied up and thrown onto a cart. When Mrs Hartgill protested, Stoughton stabbed her. A scuffle broke out in the course of which several men were injured, but Stoughton had the guns and he got away. The Hartgills were sent to Bonham near Stoughton Caudle and Lord Stoughton arranged for two justices of the peace to go and examine them, on the understanding that they would be sent to the county jail and charges substantiated against them. These magistrates, finding that there was no case but afraid of offending Lord Stoughton, left contented when they ordered the removal of the bonds and left the Hartgills, as they supposed, to be sent next day to prison. Once the justices of the peace had left the prisoners in their cell at Stoughton Cordell, Lord Stoughton commanded four ruffians, whom he had placed in charge of guarding the Hartgills, to once again tie their hands and feet. At ten o'clock that night, the Hartgills were dragged to the garden of Stoughton Cordell, where they were thrown to the ground and beaten to death by these villains, while their master stood with a taper in his hand at a back door of the house to witness the completion of this bloody act. The bodies were then carried through the back door into a gallery, at the end of which was a small vestibule, opening into Lord Stoughton's own apartment. There, they discovered that the old man was still alive as he uttered a deep groan. So Lord Stoughton, holding the candle, ordered that his throat be cut, in case a French priest, who slept in a nearby chamber, should hear his moans. The bodies were buried very deep in a sort of cellar beneath the mansion and then laid over with a double pavement upon which a quantity of shavings and sawdust was spread to hide the spot. Sir Anthony Hungerford, the Sheriff of Wiltshire, who already knew about the feud between Lord Stoughton and the Hartgills, was suspicious after being informed of the visit of the two magistrates 
And when he found out the Hartgills were not in the jail the next day, charged with felony, but had mysteriously disappeared, he became suspicious. The Hartgills were soon traced to Stoughton Cordell, and one of the villains, concerned in the murder, betrayed his employer, and the corpses of the unfortunate Hartgills were discovered and disinterred. A search of the Stoughton home found not only clear evidence of the murder, but also stolen cattle and sheep, together with the proceeds of a local robbery. So Anthony instantly demanded that Lord Stoughton be arrested and an order came down to send him to London, to stay in the Tower of London. He was shortly after arraigned in the Tower, before a special commission consisting of the Lord Chief Justice with some other judges, the Lord Steward and the Lord Chamberlain. His four accomplices were sent to trial in Salisbury. Stoughton was found guilty and was returned to Wiltshire for execution. He was hanged in Salisbury Marketplace on the 6th of March, 1557, and buried in the cathedral. His execution is the first instance where any record appears of the privilege claimed by peers of being hanged with a rope of silk instead of the rougher hemp. The smoother material causes the noose to close more effectually upon the windpipe, making an instantaneous death more likely. The four men who had helped Stoughton in the actual murder were hanged at Kilmington. These events happened before the current house at Starhead was built, so it's hard to imagine what the place looked like. In fact, they're not entirely sure where exactly the original house was. They have tried looking for the foundations of the original house. But all that's left is a gatehouse that was moved from its original spot to where it stands now. It's said that these dramatic events played out in a quiet churchyard have left their spectral mark. The two ghosts seen most often are those of the two Hartgills, father and son, who walk solemnly around the church as if in deep discussion. Also seen, though rarely, is a man armed with a gun and sword. Rather more sinister, this figure hides among the shrubs and trees, keeping to the shadows, and is not seen clearly. Presumably, he is one of the murderers. Hey, this is Russ. This is Kyle. This is Michelle. From the Infectious Groove Podcast. Join us every Monday for the most fun you can have with a music podcast. The Infectious Groove Podcast uses a positive and fun approach as we take time every week to share our jammy jams, then dig into a thought-provoking topic discussing all decades and genres of music. You can find the Infectious Groove Podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can head to infectiousgroovepodcast.com to find us there and subscribe. We might have a controversial opinion here or there, but we always have fun with it. Oh, I'm sure I'll say something dumb. Subscribe to the Infectious Groove Podcast, part of the Odd Pods Media Network. In entertainment news today, David Hasselhoff has started referring to himself as Hoff. It's less of a hassle. In the day facts. Let's start off with the 14th of May 1796, 
when English country doctor Edward Jenner administers his revolutionary cowpox-based vaccine for smallpox in Berkeley, Gloucestershire. He did this by carrying out experiments on eight-year-old James Phipps. Jenner inserted pus taken from a cowpox pustule and inserted it into an incision in the boy's arm. He was testing his theory, drawn from the folklore of the countryside, that milkmaids who suffered the mild disease of cowpox never contracted smallpox, one of the greatest killers of the period, particularly among children. On the 15th of May, 1897, the Scientific Humanitarian Committee is founded in Berlin by Magnus Hirschfeld, the first ever LGBT rights organisation. On the 16th of May, 1966, the Beach Boys released their groundbreaking album Pet Sounds, containing hit singles Sloop John B, Wouldn't It Be Nice and God Only Knows. On the 17th of May, 1824, the diaries of Lord Byron are burnt by six of the poet's friends at the office of John Murray in London, sometimes described as the greatest crime in literary history. Byron had died a month earlier, on the 19th of May, aged just 36. He had joined the Greek War of Independence, fighting the Ottoman Empire, and died leading a campaign during the war, for which Greeks revere him as a folk hero. His only legitimate child, Ada Lovelace, is regarded as a founding figure in the field of computer programming. On the 18th of May, 1980, Mount St. Helens erupts in Washington State, causing the largest landslide in history, killing 57 people and costing $1 billion in damage. And lastly, on the 19th of May 2007, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, directed by Gore Verbinski, starring Johnny Depp, Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom, premieres in Anaheim. It's the most expensive film made at the time, at $300 million. Well, that must mean it's the end of the show. But don't worry, I'll be here same time, same place next week. And I'd like to take a moment to thank the voice actors for the show today. And we had Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio, Andrea Reid, Carrie Ball and Joe Wilson from St. Stephen's Drama Group and Garrett Oddle from the Ever Trending Story podcast. Thank you, one and all. You have been listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. Now, this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. If you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't, well, let's just leave it at that, shall we? I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background, that's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>